The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. This morning I received an email from a PR firm wanting to tell me about some shoes that were health promoting and comfortable and made by a women's collective. So I read with interest until I got to the part that said that these are leather shoes with sheepskin linings. And usually I would just say, not for me, certainly not for Main Street Vegan, but I was motivated to write back because I could tell that the woman who had composed this letter was really someone who was a thinking person, who was very excited about a women's collective, and who was trying to leave this world better than she found it. So very, very politely, I wrote to her and said that it wouldn't be possible for me to promote shoes made of leather, and this is what it takes to get leather shoes. And I gave her, I don't know, three sentences, certainly not a rant, and waited. She wrote back very quickly and said, oh my goodness, I didn't know. I'm a vegetarian. I love animals. This was completely unknown to me. I'm going to talk about it with my entire team. So just in case you think that because this is something you know, that everybody knows it, even now, even people who are sophisticated and intelligent, just may not know. So let's keep talking. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran talking here on the Main Street Vegan radio show and podcast for over eight years. And how wonderful to have you with us today. On this episode, we are going to get serious about taking care of this planet. After the break, Cindy Thompson, VLCE, will join us to discuss the zero waste lifestyle. And right now, We're going to delve into cruelty-free fashion, spiritual veganism, and using our own pain to deepen our compassion for animals with Sika Schmidt. Schmitz, pardon me, I left off a Z. Sika is the creator of Impact Fashion, a 
fabulous nonprofit vegan fashion show that just happened online. She is founder of Bead and Real, a sustainable fashion community, and she's also a writer and a speaker and a meditator and a yogini, and she emphasizes healing trauma and grief by not inflicting more on others. And in fact, her life, as she puts it, is dedicated to healing. Welcome, Sika Schmitz. Oh, thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. And can I just say really quickly, um, what a wonderful story about uh, and message about educating um, other people that, about things that we think we know and that is obvious. Because I actually was a lifelong vegetarian. Like I grew up vegetarian and used to wear leather because I never made the connection. So it's so wonderful that we can continue to help people make these connections, even if we think like, oh gosh, everyone knows this by now. Because not everybody knows this by now. Right. Well, something that helps me with that is remembering all the things that I don't know. I was in conversation also today with someone who's an expert at spreadsheets and and offering to help me with spreads I wouldn't know a spreadsheet what to do with it if it walked up to me and offered to buy dinner and but you know you would think that this day and age that somebody would so you're absolutely right we just need to um, keep sharing our truth which you do so beautifully and in so many ways so let's just jump right in so let's talk about your main purpose in life. Even if we skip everything else, you are dedicated to healing. Tell us what that means and how you do it. Yeah. So I don't know that I always knew that was my purpose. And I'm not sure I would even recommend it as a purpose sometimes. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intense path. But looking over the course of my life, um, there's just been a lot of opportunities. I use that word. Um Kind of, kind of in jest, but also seriously, a lot of opportunities for me to have to practice healing on myself through, um, through grief, through trauma, through heartbreaks, through, through all kinds of these different human experiences. And so healing has been something that has been kind of at the forefront of my life in one way or another, just personally. And as, as I've gone along this journey, um, it's become clear that first of all, we're all healing from something at any given moment, perhaps many things. And so it's this very human experience that connects all of us. Um, and that in wanting to kind of promote a better world, it, it's really healing a better world, right? It's, it's healing the disconnection. It's healing our own wounds, which cause us to react in ways that perhaps wound others. So, so as I've gone along, it kind of just became clear to me that my, my purpose is really healing myself so I can learn how to help others um, find their own healing so that we can ultimately heal the world. Well, that is a noble calling, and I can understand why you say it, it can be a, a difficult one. How do you tie this in with how we relate to animals? I think so often there's a disconnect that some of, of the most compassionate people when it comes to people just don't get it with animals, especially the animals that they don't see. Absolutely. And and as I mentioned earlier, I was definitely one of those per people. I very much considered myself, you know, a very compassionate, animal-loving person. I was raised vegetarian and, and I was wearing, you know, e eating dairy and eggs and wearing leather. I just... I was still very disconnected and am still at all times growing and learning, even though I've been vegan for many, many years now, and I'm always trying to improve. But it's it's a lifelong journey of this compassion for others, compassion for animals. Um, for me, when we really think about our own our own trauma or our own grief or our own pain, it's 
it's something I think we can all agree, you know, we would like to avoid that. You know, I don't think any of us go out seeking these kinds of experiences, these kinds of feelings. They definitely, um, you know, they have a purpose and a place perhaps, but, but they're very unpleasant most of the time. And so when we look at the way that animals are treated, these very innocent creatures and knowing that they experience the same kind of pain, but a lot of times, oftentimes through very unnecessary reasons, um, you know, it was actually the death of my father about um, almost nine years ago at this point that helped me make the connection to go vegan after being vegetarian for so long. And even about reading about veganism and understanding veganism, I just couldn't quite get there. And after my father died, it became very real to me, this idea of, oh, this hurts so much being separated from someone in my family that I deeply love. And I finally got, oh, animals go through this all the time in the dairy industry and in the meat industry. Um, so I think if we really sit back with our pain and think, who else has experienced this and how experiencing this similar feeling and how can I prevent that in others? It, it actually deepens our relationship to others. Mm. And what a beautiful way to go about this because that is absolutely something that every human being has experienced and and to draw that parallel that that's very special mm -hmm. so from grief and pain and empathy let's move to fashion <laughs> so beat and real is, is just a wonderful wonderful uh, fashion source and there's a change coming. So tell us all about that. Yeah, definitely. And I do just want to mention, well, well, much of my own journey has been about kind of pain leading me to, to deepen my relationship with myself and others. It, it's also a beautiful journey of, of kind of having these very deep connections in a way that I, I never had before. So I don't want it to just seem all um, like just painful and awful. It's, it's actually, I mean, veganism and a lot of these paths that I'm on are, are very beautiful in a, way, um, in a lot of ways. Um, so as for Beat and Real, uh, I started Beat and Real almost six years ago. Um, in relationship to this idea of going vegan and also this external pain, which was happening in the fashion world after the Rana Plaza collapse that killed um, over 1,100 uh, factory workers, 1,100 humans. Um, so out of these kind of very painful experiences, I wanted to create a fashion company that wasn't causing that kind of pain because I'd, I'd long had a career in, in various parts of fashion. I loved fashion. But it became clear to me that it, it didn't align with my values and that I didn't want to participate in a fashion industry that was that was hurting others. I and mean, that just didn't that didn't feel good to me. And that didn't feel beautiful or glamorous or um, or something that I even wanted on my body. So Beat and Real was born out of this as a place to um, connect consumers and connect brands to to fashion that was causing less harm or potentially, you know, I don't know that anything's entirely harmless, but significantly less harm. And I've, it's been an amazing journey. It's, it's been through many iterations, as I think many entrepreneurs may understand, of kind of uh, starting in one place and pivoting and evolving and growing and changing as, as I have and as the market has. Um, and then very recently, I, I had the great honor of selling the inner parts of Beat and Real, so kind of all of the inner workings of it, to somebody who wants to take it um, and grow it and expand it along the same lines, along the same vision, but with new enthusiasm um, and, and, and more help, I, I would say, a bigger team, which allows, I'd say, the original mission that I created to have this like fresh new life that it's about to have. And it allows me to step into something new that I've really been wanting to do, which is really working in the healing space, um, kind of the more uh, yoga, yoga, meditation, metaphysical, spiritual side of, of 
of healing and also of, you know, veganism, of fashion, of all these things that I'm doing, but maybe in a less physical and tangible way. Well, I relate so much to that because my listeners already know that over the COVID time, I took yoga teacher training and that wouldn't be so extraordinary, except that I started doing yoga 52 years ago. (laughs) So finally got around to doing the the teacher training and and to tie that with yoga. I'm so excited about veganism and and yoga coming together because I understand that Yoga is is not a vegan tradition, but it is a vegetarian tradition, mm-hmm. and things change and needs change, and the the state of consciousness and the state of the planet is such that um, yoga needs to be vegan, and a mm-hmm. lot of wonderful people are working in that area. So I'm so excited about what all you're going to be doing. Oh, thank you, and that's so exciting. Congratulations, yoga teacher training is a transformative experience. So I, I love hearing anybody who's gone through it, because it just, I know for me, it was incredible. It, it opened up so many inner doors. And, and you know, even though I, I would love to see changes in the yoga community, you know, I think at its base, it really, I think it's meant to be vegan. It's not, it's not in a lot of ways, but I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the yamas and niyamas, these kind of core principles of yoga. The first one is ahimsa, non-harming, which ties in very well to veganism, if you ask me. So I think at its very core, if we got really, even just like down to the literal translations of what yoga is based on, veganism aligns beautifully with it. It does indeed. I, I'm so excited about having you on again, and you can tell me what <laughs> what's happening after this. So um, let's talk a little bit about, I know the fashion show just passed, but it just sounds amazing. Tell me about it. Oh, thank you. It, um, I think it is amazing. I'm a little biased. Um, I've been doing it for about five years. So I started it around the same time I started Beat and Real. And it originally, it was actually a part of Beat and Real. It was a, you know, a, a fashion show event tied to Beat and Real. And over the years, you know, obviously vegan, fair trade, all these things that I'm very into, sustainability, organic, you know, women-owned businesses, that kind of thing. These were always the focus of the fashion show. And um, over the years, it kind of grew and expanded in such a way that it made sense for it to become its own nonprofit organization. So that's what it did about two years ago. And um, and this year we pivoted. We were actually supposed to have our event in March. And as most people at this point probably know, you know, many, many changes happened in March in the world. So we ended up postponing because of COVID, which at first was a very challenging for me, this idea of like, I don't know when we're going to get back to quote unquote normal. I don't know when it's going to be safe and comfortable to do this fashion show. But when I stepped out of sort of the discomfort and got into sort of the creative space of it, of, okay, this isn't going to happen how it normally does. How can we do this in a new and interesting way? Uh, We went virtual and it was wonderful. It opened up so many doors to people who maybe weren't able to attend in the past because they weren't in Los Angeles. It opened doors to brands to be involved, again, that maybe weren't location specific. We had panelists. Um, We had actually way more panels than we've ever had time or space for. So it ended up being a really special and very new experience, even though it's something I've been doing for all these years. Um, and I will say, um, we had we had a lot of panels, but we had a vegan fashion panel, and that was the one I think that got the, some of the most feedback, especially from, from non-vegans. They, they learned so much, they were so inspired, and that made me just so happy. That's wonderful because I started out in in the fashion industry. I went to fashion school in London right out of high school. And then I started working in advertising for a very 
posh store in my hometown of Kansas City and and just loved that world, loved mm-hmm. the kind of, of magic of it. And I still do. And of course, when fashion gets veganized, then it, uh, it changes everything. So tell us about vegan fashion and what it can do for our lives. Yes. So I think the first misconception about vegan fashion is that it's some like special, unique branch of fashion, which maybe in some ways it is. But the reality is cotton, cotton is a vegan material. And most of us wear cotton every day. Um, You know, linen, hemp, there's all these materials that we're all wearing, whether or not we're vegan, that we're all participating in vegan fashion. So the first thing I like to say about is, you know, you're already participating in vegan fashion, likely whether you realize it or not. And the second thing about vegan fashion is that I actually find it to be the most interesting and innovative space in fashion right now because there are so many um, designers and companies and even venture capitalists working in the space of how do we create these exciting alternatives to leather, to wool, because at this point, you know, we, we know that those are not environmentally sustainable. I mean, not, not even getting into the ethics of it. We just know they're not sustainable. So I, I get excited about vegan fashion because it's where the innovations are happening. It's where the science is happening. It's where, um, it's where we're seeing like the most new things coming together in terms of textiles and in ways of processing. So vegan fashion, it's like, it's both something we're all doing and it's sort of the future and direction we're moving in. I love it. And what about now, 2020? This is such a strange year for fashion because I'll open my closet and I see all these clothes and I think, who who would wear all those clothes? <laughs> because I don't go anywhere right now and basically wear you know, yoga pants, which I'm trying to environmentalize and, uh, you know, yoga tops. So how do we get back that kind of delightful joy in this particular um, life pleasantry? Yeah, and that's a really great question. And, you know, the first thing, and this is outside veganism, but it's not since everything's connected, is that um, textiles waste and, and overproduction of fashion and um, fashion going into landfills is a, it's a huge environmental problem. Fashion is actually a huge environmental problem, um, even excluding animals from it. So the reality is I actually think it's wonderful that so many people, including me, are reassessing their wardrobe needs and saying, you know, maybe I don't actually need all this clothing. Maybe I don't need something new every season. Um, maybe Maybe having a few pieces that I really love is more important than having, you know, 40 pieces that are fine. So I actually think this is a really great shift for people to start learning to um, to prioritize and to love and use the pieces they have. Um, because again, it's, you know, like you were saying, like there's a lot in my closet. It's just I don't have a reason to wear it right now. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, fashion is very, it's a creative expression of who we are and even if we're not going out there's no reason you still can't wear something that you love Um, and not to get too into like the metaphysical side of things but one of the things I've been really interested in a lot lately is sort of the the energy of fashion is you know colors um, if you if you're into this colors have different energies Um, prints and textiles have different histories and different energies Um, different fabrics feel different ways on our skin and using fashion to really bring beauty and joy and comfort in a physical, tangible way, and also in a potentially spiritual way. Um, 
I actually find that right now fashion could be a great enhancer to our lives is by putting on a color that just really feels good to you, regardless of if anyone's going to see it or not. I love that we're talking about this because I've been going through some similar things, maybe because of the yoga teacher training, but my wardrobe is basically black. I live in New York City. I would go to a store and I would see an outfit that came in four or five colors, but the black one just always looked better. (laughs) And so that's just what I've been drawn to for such a long time. And a year ago, I guess a year ago, out of a street vendor cart, I bought this white dress and I would wear it all summer. I love it. I would just feel so fabulous wearing my white dress, never thinking I would ever want very much that was white because, you know, you spill things, whatever. But just lately, I just am drawn to wanting to wear white. And I was looking online and about the only thing I can find is from Yogi Bhajan because the uh, Kundalini yoga people wear white all the time. And I guess Yogi Bhajan said that uh, wearing that color would extend your aura by a foot. (laughs) So I don't know if that's true. But but right now the white is really calling to me. There have also been times when I just know that I get energy from wearing red. It's it's not even a, a question. It just... You know, and I think I'll still always love my black for elegance and, you know, kind of being understated. But it is really interesting to listen to your soul when you're going to your closet. It is. And that's so funny because I'm on the similar path. So I'd actually be really curious sometime to do a survey and see, okay, what colors are we wearing right now? Is there some bigger significance? Because I also wore black forever. I I lived in New York. I worked in fashion. And uh, I even went through a period where I wore black every year after my father died as sort of like a symbol of mourning. So I had so much black clothing and loved it. And now I can't wear it at all. I'm, I'm in whites. I'm in very light pinks and some greens. So I'm with you. There's definitely something to it. And even if I put something black on now, it feels wrong. And it's nothing wrong with the color. It's just not aligning with me right now. So I love that you're listening to that and would love to encourage anyone who's listening to this to just check in and see how do you feel in this? Like, does the red make you feel strong and powerful? There's there's a science behind colors. There is an energy. And I just want to apologize to you, Sika, and to listeners if anybody is hearing bird sounds in the background. I usually do the show from a different room, but today I was just moved to be in this room um, thinking that my rescue pigeon would be in a quiet mood, and evidently he is not. So if you're hearing that, I do apologize. Um, He doesn't. I haven't heard anything. And and even so, it's great to have extra company, right? Extra guests. Thank you. That's, That's so kind. So we've been talking about kind of the spiritual side of fashion and that. How about the spiritual side of veganism? For you, you say that your veganism is a spiritual practice. How does that work? Absolutely. You know, I think it ties kind of back into this idea of um, of ahimsa, of non-harming, that to me, that is the, the core of my own spiritual practice is to do as little harm as possible. And so inherently, you know, not not hurting animals and not, uh, you know, not hurting people, not hurting the environment to the best of my abilities. And, and I think it, veganism is a really easy one because you can really quickly look and see, you know, is something vegan and you can know whether or not it's participating in the harm that you're trying to avoid. So I've, you know, I found that intellectually veganism was kind of a, a spiritual-ish practice, but the longer I've gone into it, I actually 
feel worse. Like if I, I mean, it's been a long time since this has happened, but you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant or something and you later find out there was butter in something. Um, I, I actually feel worse, even if I don't know that there was an animal product. So I find that it's both an intellectual practice of spiritual, um, of spiritualism. It's sort of this like very daily intent and this is how I'm going to live and this is the kind of life I want and this is the kind of person I want to be is not causing harm. But that as I go deeper into it, I, I can actually feel the difference. I feel more connected to myself and more connected to animals and therefore more connected to my to my higher powers, my my God, if that's, if that's okay for me to say. Absolutely. Um, so to me, it's actually the core of my my spiritual practices is not just believing something, but living it and doing it as well. Mm, that is really beautiful. Now, some people out there in the world are, are not impressed when they meet someone and find out that the person is vegan. Because the first thing that they think is not, oh, spiritual and kind and accepting. They think, oh boy, this person is going to be belligerent and difficult. How do we deal with that just in our last couple of minutes? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm not sure we can really change people's misconceptions or preconceptions. I, I think if we try to try to show a different example, um, you know, that might plant seeds. If we live differently, that might plant seeds of what, what a vegan lifestyle can look like. Because of course, we're all humans, vegans, right? Like we're all different. We all approach this very differently and for different reasons. So I don't know that we can change the way other people view veganism as a concept, but we can live it in a way that we feel proud. And we can also live it in a way that when someone comes into contact with us and then they're like, oh, wow, I can't believe that's what veganism can look like. That was a pretty nice person or I didn't feel judged. So... I guess the th I would say like focus more on your path and less about trying to convince other people about what a vegan does or doesn't look like. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I call that attraction activism. Oh, I just I think there's that. something so important about living a life that has elements to it that other people want. It, it, yeah. It's not, you know, like junior high when you want to do everything the cheerleader does. But just a sense of, of a peace and a, uh, even an efficiency that maybe appeals to people. Well, and maybe deepening into that idea of like the attraction is I, I mean, maybe people just don't tell me, but I have actually found that I don't get very many people who um, have a lot of judgments about veganism, or maybe they're just not telling me, but even non-vegans in my life, you know, I, I don't. I haven't felt that it's really been an, an issue or something that they feel that I'm like really confrontational with them or that I feel uncomfortable with them. So maybe it's when you're in that space, like you're not just attracting them to the lifestyle, but you're attracting the kind of people who maybe are more open and accepting and less frightened by it. I love that. And, and I'm so glad you brought up the word frightened because I think people are afraid of so many things right now mm -hmm. and we don't want to pre be presenting this in a way that makes them more afraid. So maybe good food, beautiful clothes, and a terrific company <laughs> the way to that. go. Thank that. you so much. You have been terrific company for, for this 30 minutes. Sika Schmitz, you can find her at beadandreal.com. And um, stay with us. We're going to come back with Super Sustainability. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. For those of you who are new to the program, welcome, welcome, welcome. And for long timers, it's just such a pleasure to know that many of you have stayed with us since 2012. That's a while. And we have wonderful archives where you can listen to programming from way back then and see how veganism has grown, which it really has. So I also invite you to check out my website, which is MainStreetVegan.net, and you can find out all the cool stuff that goes on there. Um, I have a retreat coming up online, of course, live on Zoom uh, the weekend of September 26th. It's called Acing Age with Ayurveda. So if you have reached the big 4-0 or so and would like to live the rest of your life um, fantastically, then do check out uh, tinyurl.com slash retreat, or just go to MainStreetVegan.net and you can get more information there. We have two wonderful guest presenters, Richard Masla. He's the founder and director of the Ayurveda Health Retreat in Alachua, Florida, and Dr. Sarah Kusera, who is the author of the Ayurveda Self-Care Handbook. So do check that out, and uh, I hope you can join us. And of course, when you go to MainStreetVegan.net, you're also going to be able to read about Main Street Vegan Academy, which is our certification program for vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And I am so amazed at what my nearly 500 graduates from 31 countries are doing all over the place. And I think they just started out fabulous. And then they came to Main Street Vegan Academy and... Um, maybe found some ways to get their fabulousness more out into the world. And my next guest is one of these incredible people, Cindy Thompson, a retired fire captain and paramedic, dramatically improved her health and fitness through plant-based nutrition. She lost 60 pounds. She became an adult onset athlete and started her second career with her company, Trimazing Health and Lifestyle Coaching, to help people reach their health and wellness goals. She incorporates zero waste and sustainable practices throughout her programs. Welcome, Cindy Thompson. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. I'm just thrilled to be here with you. Well, I am thrilled and actually very humbled to be talking with you, particularly on this topic. Now, I have seen zero waste a mm -hmm. couple of times in my life. I've been so impressed when I was researching my very first book, Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic, back in, oh my gosh, 1980 or 81 in England. I met a couple who were dedicated to zero waste, and they showed me the two trash bags that mm -hmm. they had per year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was impressed, but I just thought, you know, good for you, not anything that I would ever be interested in. <laughs> and then about <laughs> 20 years later, um, I was in northern India uh, working with Tibetan refugees, and I realized they have no trash can because mm. they have no trash. Uh -huh. And I would take all of my detritus of Western life, my water bottles and my antibacterial wipes, and just stick them back in the suitcase mm -hmm. because that was not part of their life. And now you're telling me that right here, right now, 
you're doing that too. And maybe we all could or could at least move in those directions. So start with what it is and is it really zero? Yeah. So zero waste is the concept of sending nothing to landfill or incineration. It requires waste prevention, circular design, true recycling, uh, waste as a resource for other use and composting for regenerative soil practices. It really means designing and managing products and processes to avoid waste and toxic materials. Uh, and it, you know, we're not truly zero waste, you know, um, the term zero waste was first coined in the mid seventies by someone named Paul Palmer. He was in the San Francisco Bay area and he was looking for ways to reduce chemical waste and reuse excess chemicals in laboratories. He wrote a book called getting to zero waste, which was all about this concept. And he emphasized reuse over recycling, incorporating end of life recycling into the design of any new product. Uh, separating recycling from the garbage industry to remove subsidies for dumps. You know, we don't realize that trash is a huge for-profit industry to the tune of like $60 billion a year. And he wanted to make recycling profitable. And not much happened with this. Uh, we moved on and we moved into the 1990s and that emphasized recycling, not waste reduction. Um, and so you started to see recycling programs pop up in San Francisco and Seattle and other large metropolitan cities. Um, and this was also the time that plastics exploded. You know, over 18 trillion pounds of plastic has produ been produced worldwide since the 1950s. The majority of this was in the 90s or, and after. Um, and 18 trillion pounds is equivalent to 25,000 Empire State Buildings. It's enormous, the amount of plastic that we have produced. So in the 2000s, faced with increasing garbage, San Francisco grabbed onto this zero waste concept and they set uh, goal planning to become zero waste. And their plan was to divert 75% of waste by 2010 and to be 100% zero waste by this year, 2020. And they achieved about 80% diversion by 2012. So the time that your podcast started, they were down to 80% diversion which was remarkable um, because the rest of the United States was about at 30%. But this is where it stopped. And um, they have not been able to increase that number. In fact, they've been slipping backwards ever since. And the reason for that is that China stopped taking our garbage. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, and then this increase of plastic packaging. Um, now their goal that they've set now is that by 2030, so in 10 years to reduce the amount of waste that they're sending now to landfills, just the 50% of what they have now. So zero waste was brought into the household vernacular about a decade ago by a, a woman named Bea Johnson. And she had a blog called the Zero Waste Home. She's also in the San Francisco Bay Area where the zero waste concept was really um, taking on. And she developed the concept called the five R's. So we have heard of reduce, reuse, recycle, right? That's right. what we've talked about for years. And she added two more R's, one to the beginning and one to the end. So this has come up to be refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. So that is what household zero waste is about, is refusing uh, to bring certain things in, reducing the amount that we're using, um, reusing items as much as possible, then recycling, and and finally rot, which is uh, decomposing or composting. And so 
zero waste is really an old term that's from 50 years ago that's had a rebirth. Now, 100% zero waste is impossible. In fact, we've never had a zero waste society in all of human history. You know, even just 100 years, 100 years ago, products were natural and they would decompose, but not plastic, and they were durable, not disposable. But we have made products like plastics that will never recycle and never go away. And so we've created our own crisis with our disposable lifestyle. But we need to stop contributing to this and work being as zero waste as we can from this point forward. And so we've taken that on in our household, um, starting that about a decade ago. And I didn't even know what the term zero waste was until a couple of years ago. Um, and we are down to a couple bags of garbage a year. Um, so it is totally possible. It just takes a little bit of mindfulness and really paying attention to those five R's. And the first one of being of refuse is really, really key. It seems daunting. Mm -hmm. even though I have taken steps onto the path. So let's bring it down, Cindy, to really practical. So is plastic the worst? Is that where we could start if we can't just revolutionize everything right this minute? Yeah, plastic is really the worst. So um, of all the plastic that has been produced since the 1950s, um, only about 9% of it that has ever been made has ever been recycled. Only 9%. And of those things that were recycled, they can't be recycled again, generally. So one, one recycle use, and that's it. And it's garbage. Um, so plastic is the thing that we really need to get a handle on. It cannot break down. It takes, four, they think, 4,000 years or more. In fact, we've created some new uh, uh, material on the planet where um, Plastic gets put into the ground and compressed, and it's turned into a new material um, that we've never seen before that's part earth and part plastic, but it's toxic. So, um, uh, you know, 8 million tons of plastic goes into the oceans every year, and they predict that in 30 years we'll have more plastic than fish by weight in the oceans. Oh, my goodness. It's just terrible. Um, so... Um, that's the thing that we really need to get a handle on and refuse, refuse buying things in plastic, refuse um, uh, single use items, um, find new ways to um, package our thing, our things. And um, being, being that person who makes the choice, the conscious choice to refuse to buy something in plastic packaging and buy it in a different um, package. So look towards things that are much more recyclable, such as metal, which is very recyclable um, and recyclable in the United States. Uh, glass is very recyclable. And uh, paper, you, know, you can shred paper and compost it. So those are the ways um, that we look for in our household when we are going to buy something or we buy something that's not in packaging at all, which is even better. So let me ask you about some particular products that seem to be almost impossible to get without plastic. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking uh, shampoos. Ah, yes. So the greatest thing out there is bar shampoo. So we have switched to bar soap in our house and we have for our hands, but there's also bar shampoo and bar conditioner, which is fantastic. Um, so there's no package at all, except maybe it's usually wrapped in some, plastic, some paper that you can um, compost, um, but bar shampoo is great. Um, there are some other options out there. There is a company that's called Payne 
or plain products, P-L-A-I-N-E. Um, and they have a service with um, stainless steel um, bottles that they will ship you shampoo, conditioner, and um, liquid soap. And when you use that up, you send it back in the box to them and they send you a replacement. And so they take that stainless steel bottle, wash it and refill it for the, the next person. So there are quite a few options. There's several companies that are doing that now. Um, TerraCycle um, has now started a new program called Loop and they have some shampoo options also in reusable, returnable containers. So um, those are some things that I have listed in my Trimazing uh, resource guide. I have a, an ebook. I'm so excited about this ebook for your listeners. Um, it's a resource guide that's all online. Um, and if they go to trimazing.com slash zero waste, all one word, zero waste, um, they can download a copy of this resource, resource guide that has hundreds of links um, for great resources, such as the options for the different types of refillable shampoo. That is amazing. So I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you on the bar shampoo, palm oil free? Um, yeah, I've been able to find um, options that are vegan and palm oil free. So uh, they are definitely out there. And what's fantastic is that veganism and zero waste are really a lot, two sides of the same coin. You know, so a lot of the times when you're finding things that are um, zero waste, they are also tend to be vegan as well. Um, but you do have to look at some of those personal care products and um, shampoos and soaps and such because they sometimes they use um, beeswax or uh, derived things like that. Okay, so we've taken care of, of shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> now let, let's move to some of the storage containers. Mm -hmm. I had ordered some stuff that was uh, supposed to cover bowls and things and then I found out that it, it wasn't even completely vegan, which mm -hmm. just totally surprised me. Plus, it was very hard to use. I, oh, I don't know. It just didn't wash well. So I ended up throwing them out, I, I admit it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm trying to be less waste. And here I am being more waste. <laughs> so how do you, when you have leftovers, what do you do with them? Sure. So I have glass containers um, that I use. In fact, some of the best containers you can find are at thrift stores, like the old Pyrex glass containers with the glass lid that fits on top. Um, there are some glass containers that have wood lids that fit on top. Okay. But canning jars are like my favorite thing. And I think canning jar is the symbol of the zero waste movement. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I have lots of canning jars because I've been canning for years and it just made natural sense. They come in different sizes, they're inexpensive, um, they last forever. And um, you can even get um, some one piece lids for them. And so I use canning jars all the time. They're, they, they come from, uh, you know, a half cup size to a half gallon size. They're really convenient. Um, I also use cookie tins, like the old metal cookie tins that your grandma used to take Christmas cookies, you know, sure. at Christmas or Hanukkah. Um, you know, I use that all the time for, um, I make tortillas and I keep those in there and I put, they freeze well in there too. Um, I put bread in those and freeze. 
Um, I get my fresh kale and I put that in the cookie tin and freeze it. And so um, that's a great way to get my, my fresh, my frozen kale. And it does wonderful in the cookie tins. Um, and then, you know, finding um, some glass containers with um, you know, good quality, durable lids. Um, even, you know, the one thing is we want to avoid is disposable plastic things. Um, but it, you know, if you're going to use reusable plastic, get high quality that's going to last for years and years and years that you're not going to be throwing away. Um, but I tend to gravitate towards the canning jars. Um, and instead of plastic wrap, um, I made um, vegan um, fabric wraps, vegan wax wraps um, that use um, that doesn't use beeswax. And you can also buy some vegan um, uh, waxed fabric wraps. Um, and so you can use that on top of a bowl um, and it'll stick to the bowl. Um, after a while, they kind of lose their stickiness. And I just use a rubber band. You know, we always get tons of rubber bands on produce. So I just reuse those and stick that wax wrap right on top of my bowl and hold it on with a rubber band. Mm. You're, thing, you're giving me memories. Yeah. When I was a kid, we're talking the 1950s. My sandwiches for my lunch going to school was wrapped in wax paper often uh -huh. with a rubber band around yeah. it yeah the plastic came in a little bit later yes wow yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wish my grandmothers were alive because I would love to talk to them about how did you live before plastic how did you store food in your refrigerator without plastic and I love to go through like old uh YouTube videos of old refrigerator ads and they're showing the insides and I like scour and pause it to see how did they store their food without plastic you know it was possible so the other thing you can do is you know if you have something in a bowl put a plate on top of it that works great as a lid well isn't that fascinating <laughs> so Cindy I have a small emergency here Okay. I'm going to take about five minutes and I'm going to turn this show over to you okay. to uh, pontificate on what's most important about being a zero waste vegan. Okay. Sounds okay. Good. Thank All you. All right. You bet. So I, um, I did want to talk a little bit about um, how I got started into zero waste because it's important for people to understand what's happening in the world of garbage. Um, so I had started initially into zero waste because of money. <laughs> it wasn't because of waste. It was just I wanted to be frugal. And so about a decade ago, I was looking for ways to save money and um, realized that I was paying a lot for garbage service. And it just didn't seem to make sense to me that um, what I paid for was a single person for garbage was the same as a family of four. And so I decided I was going to take my garbage myself to the transfer station and not use the garbage company. And they charged me just $13 for a load of garbage and it was free for recycling. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. So fortunately I lived in an area that I was able to stop my garbage service. There are a lot of communities um, that it's not legal to not have paid garbage service. Um, in fact, where I live now, if I lived a few miles towards town, it wouldn't be possible for me to not have paid garbage service. So before you decide you're going to not have garbage service, you want to check with your local rules and regulations. So at the time I was eating vegan and um, through this process, I ended up going through my garbage a lot because I had to sort all of my recycles and sort my trash to, to do this at the transfer station. Um, and I determined that 
plastic uh, produce bags was one of the biggest things in my garbage. Um, so I didn't know if there were plastic or reusable produce bags, um, but I found some and I eliminated that from my garbage. And through my work of really paying attention to what was in my garbage, going through it every time I took that out to my garage, um, I got less and less garbage to the point where I only had to go to the dump once every eight months. So I went from hundreds of dollars a year for garbage service to $25, which was awesome. Um, and I also, so I was keeping my garbage in my garage and I discovered that if I didn't have food waste in my garbage, my garbage didn't smell. And so if you're gonna keep eight months of garbage in your garage, it's really important that it doesn't smell. So that's when I started to compost my food waste at home. So through that, I, I looked for other ways to save money. Um, and another big ticket item was buying commercially made cleaners. So I started to make my own cleaners for pennies on the dollar. And, and that was all fine and good until a couple years ago. Uh, in 2018, we learned about something, my husband and I, called the China National Sword. Uh, there was a tiny article in the Seattle Times, and it turns out that unbeknownst to us and most people that we knew, uh, that uh, most of our recycling, paper and plastic, had been shipped to China for years, and now all of a sudden they were refusing to take it. And what we learned was that garbage was the number one export from the United States, primarily going to China. Since 1992, that was the first year they disclosed data, they had imported 106 million tons of plastic bags, bottles, wrappers, and containers worth $57 billion, and they burned it for fuel and used sorting and recycling of it to provide unskilled jobs. Where I lived in Seattle, um, we exported nearly 800,000 metric tons to China in 2017 alone, which is equivalent to about 240 pounds of trash for every resident in Washington. I'm back with you, Cindy. You bet. <laughs> so the reason that this uh, started in the first place, us shipping our stuff to China, is it helped overcome a huge trade deficit where we were importing tons of goods from China but China didn't want anything back from us, which surprised me because in Washington state, I was assuming that container ships heading to China were full of apples and lumber and wheat and lentils, the things that we grow here. But it turns out we were shipping garbage and it was shocking. Um, so it was a way that we were not sending ships full of empty uh, shipping containers back to China we were actually able to make money on that return trip. And this is how this occurred. Well, you are a wealth of information, <laughs> my goodness gracious. So just in, in our last few minutes, for somebody who has never thought about this before, maybe somebody who's an ethical vegan or they're a health vegan because of a health situation that happened to them, but this is completely new. Give three tips for getting started. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is to educate yourself on waste. You know, come to my blog, um, download my ebook, that uh, zero waste starter guide, and learn more. That's at trymazing.com/zero waste. Um, just get yourself educated. Um, the first things to um, eat whole food, plant-based, vegan. Um, that is one of the best things you can do. That's going to reduce processed foods and um, packaging. And then start looking at the five R's, implement them in your life and see what you can do. 
um, to refuse. What things can you refuse? What things can you find alternatives, ways to store your food, such as canning jars or things that you can pick up at a thrift store and stop buying goods in plastic and single use disposable packaging. Well, that doesn't sound all that difficult. <laughs> now, what about using um, cloth? I just ordered some non-paper paper towels. Yes. So basically, they're cloth towels. Uh-huh. And someone said to me, but you have to wash them. Sure. And that's polluting too. Well, you're going to be washing your clothes anyway. So we have switched to cloth napkins and cloth towels. We don't ha- We haven't had paper towels in years and years. Um, and, you know, we're going to be washing our clothes anyway. So we just toss those in with our laundry. So it doesn't use any more water than we would be using uh, to begin with. And in yeah. fact, the, the fuller your load is, um, the, you know, the more effective your wash is going to be and um, you're not going to be wasting as much water. Oh, Cindy, your clients are so lucky because they get guidance on how to be successfully vegan and then they get guidance on how to save this planet uh, so that other people have a chance to be successfully vegan for years to come. That's pretty spectacular. So we've got one minute left and I would just like a word from you on the whole zero waste world and COVID-19. How has Mm -hmm. it affected it? It, it, it has been hard. You know, um, we've had an increase in plastics um, for disposable protective equipment and masks. And, um, you know, we, stores are not letting people use their own reusable shopping bags. Um, you know, the, the way to get around things like that is to have them put your groceries in the cart and bag them up yourself with your, your own reusable shopping bags. Um, buy things at uh, the farmer's market. Um, be a picky consumer, uh, make your own hand sanitizer and reuse it in a spray bottle. And in my guide, I have a recipe from Dr. Greger from Nutrition Facts on how to make your own hand cleaner. So you don't have to buy bottle after bottle of plastic container of sanitary hand cleaner. That is so exciting. So on that note, with a project for the afternoon, make some hand sanitizer. Thank you so much, Cindy Thompson trymazing.com uh, get her ebook and get started God bless eat your veggies thank you for listening this is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.